Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. as we open God's Word this morning. God, we give thanks for uh, the birth of Jesus into the world. It's something we anticipate celebrating every year as we purchase gifts for family, as we put up lights, as we put up trees, as we put up stockings. All these things that we do, though, are not what this season is about. We testify this morning that this season is about Jesus and about His birth and about this reminder of light coming into the world in the midst of darkness. God, we need Your light in the midst of our world as well. We need your love to come down. And so this morning, as we open your word, I pray that you would give us uh, an encouragement, a reminder about the good news of Jesus' entrance into the world, what that does and what it calls us to do as a result. This morning, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue our Advent series, the series is titled, Love Came Down. This is the story of love entering into our world in the clearest way imaginable. And so I want to ask you this morning to open in your Bibles or on your phones, whatever you have with you, to 1 John chapter 4, which is not exactly a traditional Christmas passage. Usually we're in the Gospels this time of year, uh, but this is a Christmas passage It's a little bit different that goes back and tells the importance and the impact of the Christmas story and how it calls us to live as a result. So in this letter from the Apostle John, we see the impact of Christmas and its demand on our lives. Before John ever gets into the topic of love in 1 John chapter 4, he talks about and gives us a crash course on how to judge people. Now, How many of you enjoy judging people? Can I get a raise of hands on that one? I saw one hand. I didn't see that in second service, so I appreciate the honesty. For, I won't name any names, but uh, I question your honesty if you don't enjoy this because some of us, that's like our thing that we do, right? I mean, we've got judgments and beliefs and opinions about everything that we're happy to give to people. But that's not exactly the most uh, uh, normal confession that we would make in a room this size because in 21st century culture, uh, judging is not exactly the primary gift that we look to offer to others or that we raise our hand with. We live in a tolerant culture where everyone's favorite Bible verse seems to be Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge. But the reality is we're called to make judgments. We're called to have wisdom and to make a, a judgment about where truth and wisdom comes from and where it doesn't. And John wants to give us some guidance about how to do that. 
in 1 John chapter 4. So I want to look this morning at this passage. I want to start reading in verse 1. Uh, it says this right there. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John acknowledges something we don't often acknowledge in our world, and that is there are spirits at work beyond what we can see. Spirits that come from God, the Holy Spirit, of course, that indwells those who are believers in Jesus, but there are also evil spirits. There are those spirits that will uh, bring falsehood to bear. So the important thing that John's saying is you've got to make these decisions, these judgments about what are the spirits that come from God and what are those spirits uh, that are actually from the evil one. How do you make these kinds of judgments to tell what a true prophet is and who's a false prophet? And so John continues in verse 2, giving us some guidance for how to figure that out. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So John gives a simple test to figure out true spirits from false spirits. And the test is this, do you believe in the story of Christmas or not? It's not exactly what John says here, but he's talking about the Christmas story. He says, do you believe that Jesus is God, has come from God, that was born in the flesh? Every prophet who denies that Jesus is from God is not from God. Instead, it says they, they have the spirit of the Antichrist. So apparently this story that we celebrate this time of year is a really big deal. The entrance of Jesus into the world, the decision for God to, to, to not just stand far off, but to come close, to come near, and to put on flesh in the person of Jesus. The incarnation, that story, is a huge moment in human history. It's such a big deal that, that John says, if you deny that that happened, you must have a spirit that's not the spirit of Christ within you. But John doesn't stop there. There's a second test that John gives us to judge between true and false prophets, true spirits and false spirits. And, and this one's a bit tougher on us. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So John says, look, these are the ways that you determine the true and the false spirits and prophets. Uh, the first thing is they've got to believe that Jesus is from God and came to live in the flesh. But the second thing is, they're to love other people. Now I can tell you, I can pass the first test this morning. I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that this is God in human flesh, fully God, fully man, Jesus, who came to live with flesh on on planet earth. But the second test is a little more difficult. John is as clear as he can be. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, but whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. In other words, it's not enough just to believe all of the right things. That's the first part of the test. But the second part of the test is that we reflect the love that God has shown to us, to other people that we encounter. 
In addition, we're called to mimic the love that God has shown to us. True prophets practice both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Now, what does that mean? Orthodoxy is right thinking, correct thinking, straight thinking about things. Orthopraxy is right practice, living out the commands of Jesus. So how do you tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? John says to us, you're supposed to discern these things. You're to make judgments. You're to look at the truth that they proclaim with their lips and also see if the love of God is shown in their life. Or in the words of Jesus about these prophets in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Another statement about the same idea. How do we judge between those who are true prophets and false prophets? Matthew 7 verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You can tell the difference between a true and a false prophet by the fruit that comes from the life of someone who claims to speak the truth. That's how you judge prophet. So how do we become the kind of people who can claim that the Spirit of God that lives within us rather than the Spirit of the enemy? Well, we follow the God who gave us this example in Christmas of what it means to show love to the world. And how did God show us love? Well, John goes on in verse 9 telling us about that very thing. Again, back in 1 John 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love that we serve a God that doesn't expect us to do something that God wasn't willing to do first. God is the one who is the originator of love, who sends his son into the world. And the son, Jesus, shows us, puts on display what love looks like. So how does God teach us to love? Jesus is God's way of teaching us how to love others. And this is how it works. This is how we learn anything, isn't it? If you're going to pick up a new skill, maybe you have a resolution in this new year about something new you want to do or be educated about, what you're going to need is somebody who already understands the thing you're trying to learn. Any good teacher is like this, any lesson that we need to learn. Right now, my kids are in school in elementary, and each one of them are learning math. And our youngest, uh, Brooklyn, is starting to understand how to add numbers together. And our middle child is starting to get uh, subtraction and multiplication and division a little bit. Our oldest is working on fractions at this point. And what it takes for uh, each of these children to come home and to know and understand math is they have a teacher that spent some time going off to college getting advanced degrees and understanding more about the lessons that they're learning. But it's not enough for that teacher to go off and understand all of these great things about math. What they need to learn to do is to break it down in a step-by-step way and help build a foundation from kindergarten on up with our children about the building blocks of of math, right? The, the, The first elements of them, learning the numbers and then learning how they're brought together. A great teacher has to humble one themselves, and teach at the level of their students. 
Great teachers don't try to prove how much they know by confusing the students with all that they learned at the highest uh, level of their education. Now they start on the lowest level with students where they're at. There's a humility to good teachers, not trying to build their ego or embarrass the students they're trying to teach, proving they know more than everyone else. We all know teachers that can complicate things, who can make you feel dumb along the way because you aren't picking it up as fast as you should. But the best teachers are those who are willing to humble themselves for the sake of their students. This is true in every area of our lives. If you want to learn how to play golf, what you need is an instructor who understands all the dynamics of the golf swing. But you don't want them teaching everything about the golf swing on lesson one. You want them learn, teaching you how to, uh, to hold the club properly with the proper grip. You need to learn the proper stance. And, and from there, you're going to learn things along the way. You want them to know everything, much more than you do. But you want them to break it down in simple steps so that you can pick it up, the fundamentals, and then advance from there. The same is true about lots of things. Let's say you wanted to pick up an instrument. Like any of these in, in, uh, band members on stage, they, they know more than a lot of us do about these different instruments. If they were going to teach you something, they know a lot more than you do, but they're going to have to break that down to teach you how to play a chord and all the different chords and pieces. Or, or they're going to need to teach you about how to keep up your instrument or how the sound gets uh, uh, amplified out. All these different things are how we learn things. People who know more than us, who humble themselves to take a student where they're at and teach them what it's going to take. If you want to learn the waltz, you want someone who is world-class at how to do the waltz themselves, but you don't want them teaching you uh, on the dance floor the night of the wedding rehearsal, right? Or the night of the wedding. You want to learn in private with your dance partner beforehand so that you're not embarrassed in the moment uh, that you're trying to show people what you've learned. It takes humility from a good teacher to teach you much less than what you know. The building blocks, the step-by-step. Any good teacher is willing not to, to try to embarrass students, but create a safe space for those students to learn, knowing that it will take time and effort and practice. The best teachers are those who are willing to humble themselves for the sake of their students, who allow us to fail without making fun of us. That's exactly what God did in the Christmas story. Let me read again in 1 John 4, verse 9 again. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Paul puts it another way in the book of, of Philippians. Talks about this very Christmas story. Again, not in our normal gospel readings, but listen to this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. He writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Christmas is the story of a God who lived far away and sent messages through messengers throughout the generations who decides that's not going to be enough. I'm going to have to put skin in the game, send my only son into the world to humble himself. And to show us what it means to live a truly uh, godly life. Jesus wasn't born into a powerful, wealthy, or prominent family. 
He wasn't born into a family who had the practice of raising other children. This was Joseph and Mary's first. Jesus wasn't born into a sterile hospital room or into a time of relative safely. He was born into the arms of this new wedded couple. He initially slept in a manger. And King Herod orders the death of all the boys, two years old and younger. Jesus has a hit on his head from the day that he's born. He's a refugee on, on the run. And fortunately, the neighboring country of Egypt was willing to receive Jesus and his family until Herod's death when he's able to return home to Nazareth. And before they can put him on a cross, Jesus chooses to humbly be a good teacher to the 12 disciples and to all those who encounter him. If he had lived in a palace, he couldn't have spoken to the common person and connected. If he lived in safety, the refugees and the poor wouldn't have been able to connect with him. If he lived in a temple, the Gentiles and those who were far off, the unclean, couldn't touch him. But he is uh, the master who humbly and patiently teaches his disciples the way of love. He's the master who puts up with the failures of those 12 disciples again and again He's the master who practices what he preaches. He's the master who on the cross is even willing to forgive those who crucified him saying they don't know what they're doing. Which, how many of you who are teachers know that phrase, right? (laughs) God, help me be patient because these students don't yet know what they're doing. This is how God showed his love among us. And this has been God's constant move, God's constant decision from the day one of creation to December 22nd of 2019. God has always chosen to humbly meet us where we are, no matter how low God has to go to meet us. So a few years ago, I uh, I read a memoir that uh, impacted me. It's uh, the title is Jesus, my father, the CIA and me. It's written by a guy named Ian Cron. And in this book, Ian tells the story of growing up in a Christian household, a household where uh, he went to church often. But uh, he also grew up in the home of a father who worked for the CIA and, uh, and he was an alcoholic. He struggled with a lot of the things he saw and, and there was abuse that was in the home. So Ian talks about this tension and how he gave up really on church and Christianity because while they went to church on Sundays, what he saw at home was such a poor reflection of what was being taught and what seemed to be a priority one day of the week. Well, in the midst of all that, uh, in Ian's hometown, there's a, uh, as a 17-year-old, he'd left church for several years at this point, and in the early 70s, there was a, a, a religious revival that broke out in a small Episcopal church in his hyper-affluent little town in Connecticut. Uh, in his words, even God was surprised uh, by this uh, revival that was breaking out in this small town in this Episcopal church. And one night he was invited to attend a revival at, at this church by some friends. And, and he tells that story in his memoir. I want to read this to you. I want to ask that you uh, stay with me while I read uh, this passage. These are his words. But I thought I'd gag if I had to hear one more story of how Jesus had answered someone's prayers at this revival. I wanted to jump to my feet and say, hi everyone, my name is Ian. When I was a boy, I loved Jesus, but I begged him to help me a million times and he never showed up. I prayed that my father would stop drinking, but that didn't happen either. If you were God and a kid asked you for that, wouldn't you give it to him? So you can sing another chorus of what a friend we have in Jesus, but you're complete morons if you think it's true. 
He writes, I breathed a sigh of relief when the testimonies were finished, but when Father Fulham donned his ch- chasuble and went behind the altar to begin the liturgy for the Eucharist, I put my hands on the pew in front of me and rested my forehead on them. You all right? Tyler, my friend, whispered in my ear. I nodded yes without lifting my head, but something was wrong. Some gland in my body had gone berserk and was shooting adrenaline into my bloodstream. My heart was beating so hard and uncontrollably it hurt my ribs. I couldn't get enough oxygen to satisfy my lungs. It felt like a dry cleaner bag had been pulled tight across my face. Was I having a heart attack? Losing my mind? Could this be God's punishment for blasphemy and my insolence? I waited it out as long as I could, but when the people in my pew pulled down their kneelers and knelt, it was time for me to make a run for it. Just as I was about to jump onto the vacant pew and sprint for the door, the panic engulfing me distanced itself and became unimportant. My interest was drawn to the altar where Father Fulham was elevating the Eucharist. His gaze upward at it, uh, then broke the host in half, saying, Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then he held the silver patent filled with consecrated hosts at eye level while an assisting priest held the matching chalice at the same height. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. But what came next was a voice. Forgive me, Ian, it said. The voice was so close and real that I raised my head to look to the either side. I'm sorry, Ian, please forgive me, I heard the voice repeat. Help me, I can't, I whispered. Will you pardon me, Ian, the voice repeated. Yes, I said. Then we are both forgiven, the voice replied. A giant knot made of thick ship's rope whose twist had become so complicated that I'd lost hope of ever disentangling it loosened to the point I could now see light coming through the gaps. It did not unravel, but it relaxed enough that I believed the work of untying it could now begin. I knelt beside Tyler, my friend, my forehead still resting on the back of my hands in the pew in front of me. Are you going up? Tyler said. I looked to my left. He and ten other people were waiting for me to stand and get into line for communion or at least move out of their way so they could. I sat back as they squeezed by. Tyler waited at the end of the pew to let the other people from our pew go ahead of him. He was waiting for me. Are you coming? He asked again. I stood and edged my way into the aisle to join the line of all the other knotted hearts limping toward the bread of new and unending life. For many years... I puzzled over whose voice I'd heard apologizing to me at that communion service at St. Paul's. Was it an imagined conversation between my father and me? An apology I was making to myself? Or did I dare believe what I had suspected? That it was Jesus. This was a theological impossibility, wasn't it? What could a perfect God have to apologize for? I asked a few PhDs what they thought, and I was given a wide range of eloquent opinions, but it was Miss Annie who solved the mystery. Miss Annie was an elderly black woman we'd met in a church we attended in Denver where I was in seminary. During services, her large lap was a revolving rest stop for no fewer than three children at a time. Miss Annie and I were standing at a grill flipping burgers and cooking chicken at an all-church barbecue when I told her about that night at St. Paul's. Miss Annie... Is it wrong for me to believe it was Jesus who asked my forgiveness, I asked her. She frowned and shook her head. Lord, what are they teaching you at that school, she said. Then she faced me head on. Did God humble himself by becoming a man, she asked, every word spoken more loudly than the one before? Yes, ma'am, 
I said. I'd never used the word man before, but it seemed like an excellent time to start. Did he humble himself by dying on the cross to show us how much he loved us, she asked, waving her spatula at me. My eyes widened and I nodded, yes. Miss Annie's body relaxed and she put her hand on her hip. So why wouldn't Jesus humble himself and tell a boy he was sorry for letting him down if he knew it would heal his heart, she asked. But if Jesus is perfect, Miss Annie ambled the five or six feet that separated us and took me by the hand. Son, she said, rubbing her knuckles with her thumb, love always stoops. I like that. Love always stoops. That's what Jesus did when he came to earth, isn't it? As God became flesh. Jesus came and was born in the world. He stooped down to our level. This is not a high priest who is unacquainted with suffering or loss. This is not a father who doesn't understand the grief of even losing his only son. Yes, love stooped at that table at the Lord's Supper when Jesus at that last meal he shared with his disciples, bent down and washed the feet of his disciples. That's love stooping, isn't it? It's what Jesus did when he bent down and... and and wrote in the sand beside the woman who committed adultery, love stooping to the ground to make sure that the one with the first sin was the one who could cast it. Love always stoops. It's what the great teachers do, isn't it? Taking all the vast knowledge they have and dumbing it down, making it simple for those who need to learn at their level. This is the Christmas story. A story about a God who stoops down to earth, Who doesn't expect us to climb that gym rope and somehow attain perfection so that God will accept us in his heavens. No, this is a God who climbs that rope down to earth and stoops down beside us to show us what real love does. That story, uh, for me, helps me understand that if God is willing to reach out to Ian in that way and others who've heard similar stories or voices themselves, we all have hope. To be received by a God who stoops down to us, who loves us where we are at. This is the story of Christmas. And so I want to take you back as we close this morning to 1 John chapter 4. Asking the question I started at the beginning, how do we judge? But maybe the morning question is, how does God judge us? Where, Where does God meet us? My challenge to you is what John says is it's important that we confess that Jesus is God. It's important that we believe the right things. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Many of you have made that confession as well. You've been baptized in the waters of baptism to confess that very thing. That you believe the Christmas story. That this Jesus is not just a great prophet or a teacher, but he was actually the divine one, fully God, fully man, who did miracles and lived a sinless life on the earth. But orthodoxy is not enough, is it? The test also comes down for us in this day and this age as God's hands and feet to show the same love that God has shown to us, to others. So I want to encourage you right now to think about what's the confession if you have not yet made it. If you haven't yet said Jesus is Lord, we'd love to receive you this morning to take that confession, to baptize you in the name of Jesus. That's an important decision that many of us could still make. But I also want to challenge those of you who made that commitment to live up to the love that God has called you to live out in the midst with others. Uh, And so this morning, if you'd love to talk about either of those decisions about right thinking or 
about right practice, whatever it looks like. I'd love to meet you after service and talk more about how we can study together, talk more. I'm still on this journey as well, but my prayer is that God would continue to pour through me the the Spirit of God to show love to others as God has so richly done for us. Love always stoops. So this week I want to challenge you with that. What does it look like for you to show love to others by stooping in whatever way God is calling you so that they might understand the message of Jesus? Maybe it's a, a time to speak that word to those that you know need it. Or maybe it's time, a time to show and to stoop and to show that love in a renewed way in this season. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this story uh, that comes at Christmas that we're reminded of. Uh, It's a story that other religions don't tell in the same way. We're unique in this respect that you're not a God who stands far off waiting for us to somehow uh, reach nirvana or waiting for us to somehow reach or attain to some level of perfection. You're a God who has sent your only son into the world Not to condemn the world, but to save the world through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we thank you for John, for the way he tells that in John chapter 3, but also the way he reminds us of how we are to test the spirits. That we're to confess this Christmas story is true. And at the same time, we're to show that the Christmas story is true by living it out in our own lives as the body of Christ in this day and in this time. So God, would you help our words and our actions to communicate truth? and grace. We love you, God. We thank you for this season. We look forward to celebrating you and lighting candles in a couple of days and to celebrating with those that we love uh, the reason for this season, which is Jesus and his birth. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.